So now we get to the meat and potatoes of this thing, this podcasting thing. The year has resumed. Work has begun again. I have a series of different things that I'm working through professionally. And at the end of all of this, I reflected on the fact that the podcast that I recorded, I didn't make this clear when I recorded. I've listened back and I thought, oh, I really didn't explain it properly. But I had recorded a prior podcast on books, which I never put out because it didn't really fit the format and there were certain issues with the podcast. So I referred to that I'd recorded a prior podcast, but I didn't make the point that I didn't actually put it out. It was like a test run of a podcast, which is an interesting idea in and of itself. I started that podcast with the notion of legacy, and I'm particularly mindful of that because of the passing of a gentleman called Reggie Osei. Reggie Osei was a podcaster. He was a podcaster of about seven years. He was a gentleman who previously had been the editor of the Source magazine, and his podcast was called The Combat Jack Show. Now, Combat Jack refers to a means of which the body becomes aroused during the height of battle. It's a very curious concept. It raises a number of interesting and strange elements to it. But he had gone by that moniker and recorded a wide variety of rappers and producers and media people, these kind of things. He died with about two months' notice. He had, I think, very rapid-acting intestinal cancer from memory. And the reason that I listened to Combat Jack's podcast, or historically started listening to it within probably the first year that it had come out, related to a gentleman called Ed Woods. Now, Ed Woods was a curious larger-than-life lawyer, an entertainment lawyer, who had appeared very briefly on a failed reality TV show called, I think, Son of Guns from Memory, which was about a rapper's son who was also being a rapper and his experience moving away from Ed Woods's tutelage to the tutelage of, I think, Nick Cannon, who was married to Mariah Carey for a period of time. I must have, I don't know, in the Las Vegas kind of time frame, <laughs> had time to listen to these kind of podcasts based on, I guess, a legacy consumption of what's loosely called reality television. Let's move all that aside. What interests me about the passing of Reggio Say was this notion of legacy. And in fact, that the people who he passed the torch onto, the people that maintain his podcast are not capable of maintaining a podcast in a practical sense. There were some of his recordings that were actually slight satires of the lack of information that comes through the contemporary hip-hop narrative. So many of the terms are cliches and a run-on cliches. You know what I'm saying? You know, all these kind of things that come together in very little information. So you can have three minutes of audio with no meaningful information and just a series of these strange speech texts. And what has come out following his passing is that his primary podcast editor, who really wasn't doing a particularly good job, I mean, the levels on his podcast historically have been all over the place. Incredibly soft, incredibly loud, sometimes just completely missing audio, sometimes missing clear edits, sometimes over-editing, sometimes duplicate editing, just indicating that people aren't listening to the audio in the production sense. And this changed 
a lot of his recordings while he was still alive. I mean, I contacted him on a couple of occasions. We were friends on LinkedIn, of all places. And I contacted him early on because he said he was going to be recording some West Coast shows. He was predominantly based in New York. In fact, he was based in New York almost exclusively, Brooklyn, fundamentally. But he did occasionally go down to Georgia for the Atlanta rap convention. I can't think what the name was. AEC3, perhaps? Anyway, so he was occasionally on the road, and he did record, I think, one show in Los Angeles. But most of his recordings were in New York with a variety of really fascinating people. Some of the shows were more satire than they were actual interview shows, but he had a sidekick by the name of Dallas Penn, who exists on YouTube in a number of different guises, who I think is actually incredibly funny and just has an ability to say ridiculous things in relatively short order to the point where you think the guy is clinically insane, but in some kind of strange, I don't know how one would call it, he just returns to the topic and fires in, you know, four or five ideas very rapidly. It's a strange kind of meandering scattershot method, which then returns to being directly on point. Now, the nature of the recording is originally there was a long intro which recited all the people that he was recording with, and then periodically these people would just drop off. So Dallas Penn dropped off. There was a gentleman called, I think, Premium Pete who dropped off. There was the uh, producer called Just Blaze who dropped off. There were a variety of folk that came into the podcast and then disappeared from the podcast. But through this, he has some untouchable interviews which are some amazing characters in the hip-hop kind of rap broader genre, including an interview that I think is unbelievable with Chuck D and a variety of other members of the Bomb Squad, basically, who were the creators of Public Enemy in terms of the sound of Public Enemy, as well as a wide variety of other things. So that recording just in and of itself justifies the entire legacy associated with Reggio Say. The way in which he passed, I'm relatively mindful of because I had a similar experience, in fact, even shorter time with my maternal grandfather. And I think about the notion of really having, I don't know, eight to 10 days in order to like succumb to an illness and then do a variety of things and then pass away. And my maternal grandfather left a series of notes for people. That was one of the interesting things is that in his passing and coming back to his house a year or two after his passing, there were just little notes that were slipped into things. And as I look here, I'm looking across at a crate, a record crate that actually contains a record of his front up in the crate. It's a Beatles album. It's not the Magical Mystery Tour, which was the one album that I really wanted through the collection, but it's a Beatles album, and so much of my grandfather is omnipresent in my own life. So when I think of legacy, when I think of this notion of what happens after people die, listening back to these recordings, because the fellow who's producing his podcast now, the Combat Jack show after the death of Combat Jack, is going back to the early recordings, and there's a lot of discussion associated with death, people failing health, a variety of factors associated with dying rapidly with cancer. I mean, it's really extraordinary to go back and listen to these recordings as they're being presented because you realise that this vibrant 
man is no longer here. And in this notion of legacy, so much of my experiences and so much of the folks that I've interacted with have had some component of their existence that deals with legacy. And when I think of the writing, the reason that I'm prioritizing my writing above other things currently is the notion of temporality, which I've talked about historically associated with things like podcasts, but also that the written word has a very particular form in legacy currently. Now, 10, 15, 20 years time, who knows what's going to be happening? I mean, I don't know if people will go back and listen to audio, don't really think so, but it's interesting the way the culture supplements, for a better term, reduces, perhaps a better term, and what comes out of this thing is really very interesting going forward. So the written word through that, so much of it is lost. I'm sitting in my podcasting room, not surrounded anymore by books, but with smatterings of books in various places. And the books that I'm keeping are curious historical books, books associated primarily with history of one point or another, and just things that capture certain elements that I feel need to be memorialized. Increasingly, however, I'm going through a process of throwing these things away. And it's interesting thinking about the written word in terms of how it continues after the age of the physical word is long gone. So reflecting on Reggio Say's legacy, the thing that I think about the most is how do you train people to continue on elements of the stuff that you do? And this is something that I reflect on, particularly with regards to political and philosophical thinkers and popular thinkers. There's very little passing on. And certainly the thing that has affected my generation more than anything, I think, is the fact that there has been no meaningful passing on for a good portion of the generation. There is, you know, maybe two dozen <laughs> folks in Hollywood that might represent my generation in some regard. But it's nothing like prior generations. And part of this, I think, is that once, maybe, in some fantasy world that one might reflect upon, there was a time when people did pass on, I don't know what we'll call it, prestige, for want a better term, just general interest. But something happened in the previous generation, in particular associated with the finitude of legacy, the nature that legacy really needs to be captured, but specifically with regards to particular people and the notion that this was not something to be passed on. And then you have this interesting thing associated with children and how children, you know, of the 20 or so actors, six to eight, maybe 10 of them would be children of the previous generation's actors. So this legacy is carried on in a very strange way. But when you look at the rest of the world, when you look at the rest of us kind of struggling, eking out an existence through various means, this notion of legacy doesn't really exist as it does for us in echelon group. Returning to Regiose, the qualities in his recording, the qualities in his thinking and analysis translate to people that have a relatively refined set of ideas and understandings. And to find people, let's call them acolytes, not necessarily followers, but people to carry on something, they should be in some regard in tune with some of the aspects of the thing that the prior person did. And this is always really difficult associated with people dying. 
Because in that sense, occasionally, sometimes, people carry on a legacy after people pass. But actually what happens is that there's a strange combination of factors over time. And I reflect to you, because he's in my face, for want a better term, with the legacy of John Lennon. And in particular, the legacy of John Lennon has carried over into his children. And what that whole thing meant financially, but also musically and creatively for his family. So what will come out of the passing of Combat Jack? Well, interestingly enough, Edwards passed away three days prior to Combat Jack, this entertainment lawyer. And there's very little information about Edwards' passing, to the point where the whole thing is really very curious. We live in a time, a day and age, where people assume that almost instantly you will find every possible detail with someone dying. And I certainly found this with regards to my wife's maternal grandmother, as well as my grandparents in general. But not to the same level of intimacy. I mean, the my wife's maternal grandmother literally photograph up on a website, a news site, within 45 minutes, like amazingly fast. And I think about this in terms of, is this the new means of the end? Or, like Ed Woods is passing, is this just a private thing that is held you know, secret in some regard, and only, like, touched on by a few friends. And what is this thing, anyway, going forwards? In terms of my own ideas, and this isn't necessarily associated with passing, this is associated just with, perhaps it's time to pass on the torch to others, in a variety of different areas, I reflect very heavily on the fact that there are half a dozen folk that get some aspect of this thing, various things that I do, podcasts, software, these kind of things. And within this group, their ability to shine through this is something that I want to try and cultivate. I feel obligated, and this again comes in some regard through my maternal grandfather, to create modes that enable people to follow on, or to pick things up, or to take things in their own direction. And in terms of the people at podcasts that I've been able to help podcast and start podcasting and this kind of stuff... They've all taken it in their own direction. No one has taken my blueprint completely. Some people have taken almost all of it. But I actually really like that. I like the idea that in doing this thing, in putting audio out, I can give to half a dozen people enough information that they can carry on, and it's fulfilling and sustaining for them as well. And that's really all one can hope for associated with these broad, abstract ideas. It is very strange to reflect and catch oneself reflecting that I'm listening to someone who is now deceased, who still seems very alive and very vibrant and very present. And I think within that notion, podcast audio may have a much longer tail. There are a few folks that I listen to that are now deceased in terms of podcast form. But it's something that I reflect on very heavily in the context of legacy, and particularly in the context of legacy that I saw with regards to some of the technical people I've worked with and these kind of things. So very, very adept and focused on the notion of their legacy. And it creates a strange thing which doesn't create the same kind of mentoring that I ultimately would want to do and show through my life. So I reflect on Reggio Say as being someone who had so much energy, so much vibrancy, but what will come after him, I'm really fascinated in seeing primarily because it touches on a lot of the aspects of the things that I like to do in terms of mentoring and just general direction. And within that, I would recommend folks go back and listen to the Combat Chat podcast if you have time. 
bearing with the bad audio, bearing with a lot of the toings and froings, bearing with the wide variety of various speech ticks that were never fully ironed out in the recording, and also reflecting on what the legacy has become, reflecting on the new audio, reflecting on the fact that his audio editor, who is now carrying on the recording, hasn't listened to himself and hasn't listened to the podcast in a critical light. He doesn't have that ear. So from my perspective, it's not a very good representation of the historical thing that was the combat chakshah. And as a listener to it, you develop a curious kind of ownership with the audio. And I think that's something which is going to have to permeate and work its way through this particular recording as it goes forward. I'm talking here about the combat chat show, not associated with long funk. So this is a shorter long funk, but some ideas that I wanted to put out associated with the passing of man who I've certainly enjoyed his production efforts and also reflecting upon how I can change my own behaviors in order to assist and mentor people that want to start podcast recording in the future. Tom Barbelay, looking at the Beatles, looking back at him in San Jose, signing out.